Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, from Segunda Caeta blog, and the author of Way of the Blade, the book, 100 of the greatest bloody wrestling matches of all time. I am here with uh, Daniel Makabe, who's a professional wrestler, who is, I, I started in 2003, but kind of as an overnight sensation after 17 years, uh, and has gotten, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, big pushes and a lot of the big indies around and uh, won the Scenic City Invitational and won the WXW Ambition Tournament. And I've got him here to talk about a mutual love of ours, uh, Yuki Ishikawa and Daisuke Ikeda murdering each other. That's, I mean, quite quite the intro. I don't know. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. That's, uh, I mean, you really set the table there for uh, for what we're here to, to discuss. But yes, I'm... Uh, I'm stoked to talk about two of my favorite wrestlers in, I mean, I, I got to imagine one of the more unconventional matches on, on your list when it comes to bloody wrestling matches. But, but I think, I think still a, a very valid inclusion uh, in said list. So yeah, I'm stoked. Let's do this. Yeah. The way I kind of put the book together, I, if, if, if I saw red, it counted because, you know, there's only, you know, there's the, one of the great things about professional wrestling is it the variety. So I wanted to use this as a way, uh, as sort of a, a jumping point to talk about that variety. So I didn't want it to be, I wanted, we're obviously going to, in the book, I'm talking about Tommy Rich, Buzz Sawyer, but I'm also talking about French matches from the 1950s and, and Lucha and shoot style and everything. So I wanted to kind of cover it all. And this is a, a style of wrestling that I, is near and dear to my heart, maybe my favorite type of wrestling ever, that kind of uh fujiwara family that uh that built off the first two uh uwf promotions and then everything splintered and uh one of the splinters was pro wrestling fujiwara gumi which was a promotion that fujiwara founded and initially had uh minoru suzuki and masakatsu funaki and ken shamrock as their sort of big uh stars along with Fujiwara and then those guys left to form Pancras and then Fujiwara brought in a new group of guys that he trained near the end of his promotion including Yuki Ishikawa and Alexander Otsuka and Daisuke Ikeda and Katsumi Yasuda and then eventually those guys broke off and found their own promotion Battle Arts and then Ikeda broke off and founded his own promotion Futen and this matches from that promotion. So that's sort of the history of this. And these two guys, you know, I think they had their first match against each other in 1995, as far as I know. This match is 10 years later. And their most recent match, you were at live, right? I was, although sadly, I did not get to watch it live. That was like my one goal. Uh Actually, that's kind of a fun story. So when uh, their most recent match was at uh, a part of the WXW 16 Karat Weekend in Oberhausen, Germany this past March. Um, and it was kind of the showcase match on the the afternoon ambition show, which is a, a shoot style uh, kind of one day tournament that usually has kind of a super fight as as a bit of a buffer match between the semifinals and the finals. Who won that? Uh, who won that tournament? Uh, I mean, you might be talking right here. 
uh, yeah, I, I won that tournament, which was which was very cool. Um, the um, but that match got announced at the the previous kind of big weekender that WXW had done um, last fall, which is like a, a tag team tournament that also had an ambition show on it that I uh, went to the finals of. Um, and they announced that, you know, six months later in March that they were bringing back, uh, not only were they bringing back Ishikawa for a second time, but this time around they were also bringing over Ikeda. And uh, it was on the afternoon of that ambition show, I was literally on the stage of the venue stretching, warming up for, you know, about to have three matches kind of thing. And they were just test running all of the lighting and the sound and the graphics for the show. And they brought up the graphic on the big screen that they were going to do this big unveiling during uh, during that, that day's show saying, hey, by the way, in six months time, we're doing Ishikawa Ikeda one more time. And they threw that up on the screen and I literally like stopped what I was doing and I like started just like having a mild freak out on, <laughs> on stage. And I turned to like the um, the head of kind of the production end of things at WXW, his name is Dennis. And I was just like aghast, like, are you actually doing this? Like, can I come back? Can you please book me? I need, I need to be here live to see this match. Like part of me wanted to ask if I could like be a, like a second for one of them, like a, like a ring boy kind of thing, just to be able to be physically up close and personal to see it. And then it's, I think it's just become kind of a running joke, at least to me that, um, WXW books me in these finals after, um, like super fights that I really want to see. And I don't get to watch them because I'm too busy, like working on my own, you know, um, matches and getting ready for my matches that have to follow them. So this past October, you know, they did a Timothy Thatcher, Oni Lorcan match in Germany that I really wanted to be able to watch, but I couldn't because I was preparing for the finals. And then again, this past March, we get this uh, aforementioned uh, Ishikawa Ikeda match that I did not get to watch live because I was preparing for the finals. So um, I was there. Unfortunately, I did not get to see it live, though. Oh, brutal. I might have, I might have just been content to have a bad match in the finals. <laughs> Take it, it's just like, I, I, I'm I not going to prepare. Yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to be sore and not stretched. Um, yeah, this this that match in in March, which was excellent and and in the spirit of what they've done before, which is pretty crazy considering how old these guys are. Um, yeah. Was their first singles match in like 10 years. Yes. Yeah. I know they had done they had done a tag on the Ikeda like anniversary produce show uh, maybe the year before. Um, yeah, they, they had, had one in 2009. They had a thing in 2019 and they had a uh, and they had a uh, match in like 2018, uh, a tag in 2018 against each other, too, which doesn't appear to be exist on the Internet. Uh, yeah. But you're you're quite right. It was their first singles in forever, and they just like went out like they had never lost a step. They're they're crazy, honestly. Seeing those two go at go at it with each other, I I mean, it's got to be one one of my favorite pairings in all of wrestling history. Yeah, it, it's incredible. This I don't think this match that we're talking about today, and I should uh, uh, say what that is. It's their match from. April 24th, 2005 in Futen um, is there. I don't think that's their best match. Um, 
but Nobody, I think it's their it most, their violent. most violent match, honestly. Yeah, that's what it is. It's their most violent match, and that's kind of what you want. That's what you're shooting for with these guys, right? It's like you'll take most violent, right? Because the violence is what it kind of is about with these two. And th- this match was their first uh, six uh, years between singles matches. So they had a match in their, their previous match in 2005 was 1999. And then they took oh, another and that six. Match, that match is awesome. That was one Summer 99. It's like the finals of the. Maybe the Youth Generation Battle or one of the tournaments they did in Battle Arts, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, that match is that match is unreal. That might be my favorite match they've ever had with each other. So yeah, that that they had a uh, two matches within a within a month. Like they had a match in the tournament and then the final. Uh, I, in the tournament match, I don't may not be out there, but the final certainly is and is one of their better ones. So they went like long periods. They went from had a you know ninety nine and then there was an issue where Aikido goes to. Uh, Noah and leaves Battle Arts, and then they wrestle again in 2005, and then they don't have another singles match until 2011, where they have two in within a couple of months, one in Futen and one in Battle Arts. The Battle Arts one is on IW uh, Internet uh, Independent Wrestling TV. Uh, you can watch that uh, if you have a subscription to that service. Uh, the Futen one is like much of Futen, furiously missing from existence. Like, if you want to get really irritated for about 15 minutes, go look at a, a list of Futen results and compare it to the amount of stuff that exists on tape. That actually exists, oh, like, yeah. Just go through there's, it, not just a, there's not a ton. Grind your teeth. Uh, so, um, so, the, so the, for a while, you know, for a period from around, from where they first started, uh, had their first match in 1995, to 1999, they wrestled a lot. And then it became this very occasional thing. It was like a high school reunion where they, you know, revisit this dance that they did with each other every, you know, five or six years. And then obviously 10 in between this next one. And and, and maybe this is this last one, the last one they do. Ikeda is pretty uh, semi-retired at this point. He doesn't wrestle very much anymore. And Ishikawa wrestles a little more, but they're both old guy, old guys now. They're in their fifties, so the, the the one they had uh, in March might be might have been their swan song. It, and if if it was, that's that's a hell of a way to go out. Yeah, the only uh, way that they could go out, right? It's the only thing that is uh, true to whatever insane agreement they've made with each other. Uh, <laughs> right? Like it's the only thing that would be appropriate is if they go out, you know, in that sort of way where it's just we're going to brutalize each other in ways that are honestly at points hard to watch yes and Futen I think in some ways as a promotion was like battle arts uh, concentrated right it just it, it took the thing that sort of is most compelling about battle arts and sort of like concentrated into like the, the most contrary form of just these guys. Like, all the kicks are nastier. All the punches are nastier. All the headbutts are sicker. And it's like, it, it, it almost is like, it's like, you know, the difference between raw heroin and cut heroin. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if that comparison is 
ever been made before. I I, I get it. Yeah, it, it, the matches it, and a lot of the match lengths, if I recall, are, are a little bit shorter, too. It's just like these like intense bursts. Like the one match I always associate with Futen is that uh, that Ono versus Ikeda match, which is just like it might be even more brutal than this match is. But um Goes but maybe, yeah, goes maybe three, four minutes or something like that. It's I think I think I remember when I reviewed that I said it was basically Hagler Hearns for professional wrestling. Right? Like, exactly, exactly. But like we need matches like that. I don't know. I think I think that's interesting. I think that it adds dynamic to where like uh, you know why do I care about like a hot start to a match if it's if I know it's not going to. Um, you know, like, oh, well, that's just the introduction, you know, like, but if you, you know, you have those kind of matches to lay the groundwork that like, hey, this match could end in three minutes because these guys are going full tilt and beating each other. Ikeda punches him right in the face. And and would that be a disappointing finish to end it in, in 10 seconds right off the get go? Sure. But um, but there's still a, a level of believability to it. Yeah. So. No, and I, I think as I've gotten older, my uh, sort of tolerance my uh, attention span for longer wrestling matches has certainly uh, dimmed. I, I twelve minutes is fine. <laughs> like I, I don't, I like I don't, I don't know if I, I, I. There was a couple of matches in this book that are very, very long, and it took some. It took. It tested me. Even though the ones that are in there, the ones I have, they're really long. Are some of the greatest matches of all time. I mean. Nick Bockwinkle, Kurt Henning from AWA is an hour-long draw that's in this book. And you don't get better than that match when it comes to hour-long draws. And still, it was just like, I get it, guys. Let's uh, let's speed this along a little bit. I totally get it. And, and like from an insider, kind of inside baseball perspective... I don't really want to have a match that that overstays its welcome either from, you know, from a performer's perspective, like 13 to 15 is like my money like time that I that I like. And and I can tell, uh, you know, a pretty well uh, defined and and uh, and flushed out story in that kind of time frame. So so these guys. Yeah, this match is uh, like I said, 13 minutes. And it's it's right at the sweet spot for me as far as. My uh, my attention span goes. What was the longest match you've ever had? Oh God, um, whew. I'm trying to think. I've probably had some tags that went, and and this is again when I was like young and and really didn't know what I was doing or younger, I should say. Um, I probably had some tags that went like 25, 30. But as far as a straight singles, I'm trying to remember the last time I had a really long. Uh, singles match. I mean, not not too long. It's it's funny. I mean, I I, I kind of want not now because I'm I haven't wrestled in six months and and uh, I'm not in the shape to do it. But one day I'd kind of like to to do a sixty minute draw, almost as like a, a genre exercise, just to say I did it, um, and just to um, you know, just to, to be able to try things out and see how they work within that format. But, um, but like, honestly, like, uh, like a singles match that goes into the twenties, I run out of things to do in a, in a match that long. I've got a pretty like condensed move set. So, uh, well, if you go an hour, I'll watch it. I, I'll tell you that we're, you won't appreciate. I, but but I'll resent you a little bit. Probably about thirty five minutes in, this motherfucker is really just. He's really just going to go for it, isn't he? You're going to get a lot of mat work. I got to make it interesting and dynamic. That's the problems. 
That's true. I mean, you're going to have to do a lot of, uh, uh, well, the Bachwinkle and Hedley, they did it. They kind of pulled it off, but it's not easy to pull off. And a lot of times I remember those, uh, you know, those early ROH indie days. They had some, like, real experiments with super long matches. I think they remember uh, there was, like, a Danielson-Aries match that goes, like, 90, you know, 75 minutes or something like that. And they always rumored that they were going to do one that was like two hours long. But I, I remember the, the, they do, they do the match that goes 70 and then a, the rematch is going to be two out of three with each fall having a 60 minute time limit. And like the rumor is that Danielson at the time wanted to do three consecutive hour long draw falls. And they had to like talk him out of it because that's insane. <laughs> and and it's like with those things, I remember like when I when it was happening, I was like, oh man, that's pretty exciting. That they're going to do that. And it's like I would just, I just the thought of it now, just, my God. <laughs> like you know what I mean? I mean? You know, the Godfather Two is three hours long, but unless you're going to do Godfather Two, uh, you know, I think you should show some limits. Like I don't, I'm never. I don't think I'm ever gonna go back and revisit any of those super long early 2000s indie matches. No, like uh, Punk Hero, they went 90 something minutes. I remember that was that might be the record, honestly. But yeah, I think there was some. I think there were a couple of other like experimental kind of ideas that may have gone longer in smaller indies. Uh, like we're gonna do. I think somebody might have done two hours as like, a, but not, but not people that you, names that you would have recognized, gotcha, or names that I remember. Uh, but yes, I just so uh, back to this match. This was one of their shorter matches, I think, because some of the some of the '99 era stuff goes 25, 23. This is much more condensed. And I one of the things I kind of liked about it is that you know having it. It had been a you know a bunch of years since they'd done it, and this these guys were a little past their athletic prime, and I think it was wrestled as a match of a pair of guys a little past their athletic prime. And I think that was I, that was a sto- uh, what I felt through that match that these guys aren't as dynamic and explosive as they were five or six years old, earlier. Instead, this is going to be more of a battle of attrition. Yes, and it's it's um, yeah, there are definitely elements where. Like it's, I don't know how to to necessarily put it. Both these guys are obviously very skillful at what they do, but like they almost kind of, it's like you're trying to remember that, that skill set you had and you're just sort of throwing it at, at each other. Cause there's moments where they're, they're, they're using technique, but it just feels very kind of reckless and like they're almost throwing caution to the wind. Like I have this technique, but I kind of just want to like fly at this guy and just throw my fist in his general direction and, and do as much damage as I can. And, and maybe I'll grab a hold after, after the dust kind of clears. Right. But, um, but yes, you're quite right. It, it, it definitely feels like more of just uh grinding each other out less so than like a, a really skilled technical battle. I mean, this was the thriller in Manila, right? This yes. was Ali and Frazier after Ali had already lost much of his career to the Vietnam to his uh, being stripped of his the title protests, during yeah. the Vietnam War protests and after Frazier had been knocked out by by uh, George Foreman. And it was, you know, they weren't, this wasn't them at their primes, right? This was two guys who were very skilled and very talented and who had already paid the price for the life that they had lived. But it didn't matter because this was still going to be what it was. 
and in you know and I think and I think that's so like we said I don't think this is their best match. It might be my favorite of their matches because of that kind of because of the the sort of smudge dirt stains on it, right? Because it wasn't as pretty, it was ugly. And then sometimes you just want to watch something ugly. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely their, their most kind of rough around the edges. Um, but I think it's it's their most eye-catching match. Like a lot of those other matches that go longer, they do have a lot of mat exchanges. They do have a lot of almost kind of establishing work um, that kind of builds up. Whereas, like I said, this kind of just like jumps out of the gate right from the get-go. It's a lot of stiff shots back and forth to begin with. There is some mat wrestling in there, but it almost feels like they skip the the establishment of of these holds, and they're just kind of almost using um, the big holds as uh, like almost like false finishes, um, where they're going, you know, they're it's a lot of strike, 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 and then grab a hold and try and tear someone's limb off or crank their neck off or or whatever, as opposed to their other works, which um, maybe uh, uh, take a little bit more time to set the scene sort of thing. So um, that's kind of how I see it. But I I think for a lot of people, um, I mean, especially those who might be new to the style, I think this is going to catch your eye more than something that that is a little bit more more of a slower build, a little bit more of a dry, um, you know, first third of the match. Uh, whereas this is just going to catch you right off the get-go. Yeah, it's, it may not be as, it's not as technical, but my goodness. Uh, you know, I don't understand how Ishikawa throws punches like he throws. Because they sound uh, like he's knocking on a coconut. And I don't think they sweeten the sound. I don't think it's Lucha Underground. I don't think these punches are sweetened by whoever's behind the camera with the food thing. But I also don't understand how he doesn't break his hand. He has, I don't want to like, I'm not, you know, wanting to give away a magician's secrets, but having been around the man firsthand and seeing him work, there is like a magic to his punches. And I like, I don't even know how he really does them, but like, I've been on the receiving end of them and you think they're going to like take your head off and, and they don't, um, but they they sound and look amazing though. So these guys didn't beat the shit out of you? No, and like cuz it cuz I can't imagine that they did it cuz it certainly looks like they did more than anybody else and it certainly and they got to at least beat the shit out of each other a little bit cuz you see the bruises and you see the at one point uh you know Ishikawa comes out of the, you know what qualifies this match for the book is he comes out of you know steps later in the match with his like he just got a root canal you know spitting out like a like you know, half a gallon of blood out of his mouth, and and his che- like his cheeks are puffing up. So like, there's like four or five times like because I hadn't watched this match in a while, and so I kept thinking, okay, I know Ishikawa gets the bloody mouth. Like, when's it coming? Here's it. Oh, oh, this must be it. You know, you know, Ikeda punches him in the face. He goes down. He comes back up. No, no blood. Oh, he kicks him in the face here. It must be here. No, not not. It's it's not. It's quite late in the match actually. Maybe like ten eleven minutes in, and it's. Um, after Ishikawa has had a couple, um, like it's maybe like a, a tease knock, knockout, knockdown kind of thing. And then Ikeda comes back hard and kicks him right in the face. Um, 
But um, like for my experience with them and for those unaware, like in addition to being in the in the room, although not watching when they wrestled one another, uh, I was lucky enough to have a tag match with them that same weekend in Germany uh, alongside with a British wrestler named Chris Ridgway. And um, from my experience from getting to work with them, like they're very like obviously very realistic and, and a snug style. But I think it's it's one of those things where you and this is kind of an old adage within the wrestling industry that you you work kind of harder and stiffer with your friends than you do with someone you don't know. You're trying to not piss off someone you don't know. You're trying to make a good first impression. Uh, whereas you know this guy and these guys have known each other for you know half their lives at this point. Um, they know what they can you know what they can get away with and that they can kind of test each other's boundaries. And so. Uh, no, I definitely did not get like kicked in the face as hard as as Ikeda later kicked Ishikawa in the face that same weekend. So uh, yeah, I, I think they're they're snug, but there's a magic to their snugness. And I think when it comes to working with each other, I think the magic just gets thrown out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so they can do it, but this way. Uh, uh, so did you, were were you inspired to throw uh, what you were throwing a little harder because you were in there with Daisuke Ikeda? I mean, Akita especially, right, who's almost legendary for being just an absolute yeah. massacre machine in the way Ishikawa is a little more of a, a technician. Yeah, Ikeda, uh, the one thing I'll say is Ishikawa was way stronger than I thought he was going to be. And and grappling with him was, like, I had to work for, for things for sure. Ikeda, I was concerned that I was going to get kicked upside the head and it was just going to straight up suck. And... So I, I don't know. Like I, I think I fall into the the camp of not wanting to piss off these two legends whom I have the utmost respect for. And so you know I want to have a, a hard fought match with them and show that I I uh, am appreciative and respect the style, but I also don't want to to piss them off. <laughs> so um, so I, I mean I found a a, a common uh, a nice kind of middle ground to uh and and that's kind of how i work in general like i don't want to really take anyone's head off i want to make it look like i did and occasionally you know things don't land where you want them to and you and you might hit a guy in the jaw or in the back of the head or whatever but uh, it's never my goal to be you know stiff for the sake of of putting over the brutality of a match now if i were in there with someone who is one of my best friends for for however many years and that's kind of the goal yeah sure you know and i've been in matches where i've had my legs just eaten alive from leg kicks um and some of those ambition tournaments like after the one i did last october i could barely walk because i just all three matches the guys had decided to throw leg kicks on me and i i just ate them basically so um so i, I don't know i just kind of i guess i i kind of waver between uh, what the situation calls for, but and I think they do the same thing. So there's a great quote uh, from an Ishikawa interview, uh, which I actually put in the book in the write up of this, and I think it covers his views on this pretty well. And obviously, this is a translation, but it says 
Somebody asked him in the interview why they hit each other so hard. And he says, because we are not hitting each other. We are hitting the fucking stupid people in the world who think that pro wrestling is fake like a trained monkey show. They say that pro wrestling kicks are fake, so it's not painful. Once they see our fight, they have nothing to say. They watch our fight like a fool with their mouth open with surprise. So our violent fight is not only for our opponents, but for the fucking people that make light of battle arts. Our fight is anger towards people who make light of us. I want to get that tattooed on my back. That, <laughs> know, like, that's, isn't that badass? You're you're in bands, right? Write a song with that as a lyric. That's or that's like I mean I can write like a do like a post rock band. That could be the name of the album. So um, yeah. no trained monkey show. So this was a, this was the ultimate in not a trained monkey show. I can I can re- I can relate to that, and especially like in the venue, like it's a dark venue. You can't really tell how many people are there, but the the people they come up for the big you know, false finishes and stuff, but they're, they're that kind of traditional, quiet, respectful Japanese crowd. And you can just hear like the thuds and the slaps echoing in the building, but I can completely relate to that. Um, that kind of angle that Ishikawa was coming from in, in that quote, because I, I had a match earlier this year where, uh, I, uh, I saw a fan almost kind of mocking the way that my opponent was selling, uh, submission that I put them in and and how you know phony this wrestling thing was and as he came up I was like well I'm about to throw a punch at this guy and and I feel bad for him because I'm about to show this fan in the front row like how realistic this is and I don't appreciate his uh you know his bemusement or whatever and and I unfortunately took my opponent's head off with it he was fine with it but but uh but sometimes, yeah, that's that's called for to to kind of really show like it is real, you know, to an extent and things do happen and and people get hurt, you know, God, God forbid. But but yeah, no. So I, I, I love that quote. That's amazing. Yeah. It's one of my favorite favorite quotes by anybody about anything, <laughs> much less wrestling or specific. Just, you know, right up there with, you know, Churchill or whatever. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, and I think the interesting thing about, I think this match is the most of that, of the two matches, of the match they had with each other. I think there's probably a lot of it in that match in March, too, because I think this was, that this was in front of, I'm assuming, a crowd that was relatively unfamiliar with them. I mean, this is a niche of a niche, this Futen and Battle Art stuff, right? It's not something that your, even your average guy at an indie show would have seen. Probably not, but that they were on like the afternoon ambition show, so it's it's people who specifically want to go to that style. So, like the the evening kind of full full scale show, about fifteen hundred people were there each night. Uh, the afternoon ambition was about five hundred people. So like real diehards and people who appreciate the style, they want to watch two hours of the style, right? So, um, I I mean it's not. I'm trying to think who who would be the biggest name shoot style workers to. Outside of Japanese fans, I don't know. Um, like may, maybe Tamara, I don't know. Um, but like these fans, these fans certainly have. I think they're pretty educated, and and for those who weren't familiar, they made themselves familiar. Takata would be my guess. It feels like a lot of people got uh, who in the tape trading worlds got their hands on a Takata Vader match at some point. Yeah, that makes sense then, because like from like the actual like marquee standpoint in Japan, it's probably like Takata or Maeda, right? But um, I don't know how well those people translate 
maybe to tape traders in the nineties, but like nowadays I, I don't hear about people necessarily going back and, and those guys having any real like star power, I guess, but except to our niche kind of world that we exist in. So I got to bring back Schneider comps, man. I got to let, let people know. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you feel old, but one of maybe my favorite match ever, uh, is that UWF versus New Japan 10-man elimination from 1986, um, where like Maeda and Inoki are the captains. Sure. One of the greats. I think it's legitimately my favorite match ever, and I first saw it on a Schneider comp that I got. So I apologize for the video quality. Oh, it's all good. I've got it on a really nice uh, – well, it's online now, but I, I later got it on one of those history of the UWF New Japan DVDs, I think from Tabe. So um, that's probably better than me. Me and two VCRs in my like in my twenties bachelor apartment, uh, recording recording them overnight while I slept, which is how the, yeah. uh, the Steiner cops. I'm pretty work. sure that I didn't even get it from you. I think I got it from someone who got it from you. So fuck, well, fuck you. PayPal me twenty bucks then. What, what are you kidding me? No, I think I think there's another one that I did get from you. I, I I'm sure we 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 had internet dealings twenty something years ago. So good to know. And now here we are, uh, chatting on a podcast. I wrote a book. You're like uh, the biggest name in indie wrestling that's still uh, unlikely to get signed anywhere. Uh, <laughs> oh, that 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 I can assure you will never happen. So you yeah, if, for, if you ever need future podcast guests to speak about bloody shoot style matches i'll I'll be around so see no uh no uh ambition to 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 go anywhere like if you got you're in you're indie for life you're not gonna sign a major contract you're i would i would never like as much as it would be cool to be be able to make a living from from this there's no major um corporate wrestling promotion that works a style that i think I would enjoy doing day in day out. Like I, 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 I need my freedom. And, uh, and, and this is honestly for me, like um, I never expected to be able to make a living from this. This is, this is me being a, a, a tragic artist uh, through and through. This is, this is me doing it for, for the love of it and, and wanting to do, cool, cool stuff and, and have matches that I can be happy and, and look back upon uh, with fondness in the twilight of my life. So, so I want to get into this a little bit. This is a little bit off topic, but I think it's, we talked a little at the beginning of this, that you started wrestling in 2003, which is a yeah. long, long time ago. But I would imagine that even your most diehard wrestling, uh, indie wrestling fans wouldn't have heard your name until maybe two or three years ago. So what would you, would, am I being incorrect with that? I would consider myself on that list. I don't think I had heard your name until, you know, I don't know, 2017. So that's a long time in between doing it in the real trenches. So I, I would, give me a, a, if you don't mind, give me like a quick rundown of the, what's, how did that work out? How did you go from having your first match uh, 17 years ago to being like the overnight sensation after 17 years? Honestly, I mean, there's, there's a lot of years where I, I had very little or, or nothing to do, certainly with professional wrestling. Um, it's not a secret that I was very involved in in backyard wrestling for, for periods, e- even after I got trained, kind of the local pro wrestling scene here in British Columbia really didn't do much for me, didn't appeal 
uh, it wasn't an environment that was conducive to, to kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and I was having more fun just hanging out with my friends and, and doing whatever. The one nice thing that kind of came from that is, and, and some people certainly know this, but I mean, honestly, most of the, the big name independent promotions in America nowadays are, are run by people that I met 15, 20 years ago in backyard wrestling. And a lot of the opportunities that I've had have come just through, through networking, um, you know, over the last 20 years, even if it didn't necessarily happen in a professional wrestling setting. So, uh, it wasn't until like 2016, 2017 that I started working indies again, really, um, uh, just as something to do. And then the only reason that anyone knows who I am and, and honestly, I think, was a real turning point for me as a worker uh, and really changing my style to be kind of who I wanted to be and, and to be someone who kind of stood out in the the current independent wrestling landscape was I, I got to wrestle Timothy Thatcher in Seattle, Washington in the summer of 2017. And then subsequently I got to do it again to, to the two following summers, 2018 and 2019. Um, and that first match went like kind of viral um, amongst uh, a real diehard section of wrestling Twitter. And uh, and I decided I, I mean, I learned so much from from that experience of, about who I really was as a, as a professional wrestler. And uh, the ball just kind of kept rolling from from there to where I'm now getting to fly to, to Europe uh, semi regularly pre pandemic to to wrestle uh, a real like traditional hard fought you know be it shoot or european style uh, of wrestling which i i always kind of dreamed of being able to do and never thought it would actually get to happen so that's 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 really interesting it's really cool it's a it's a completely unique story in a lot of ways i i think i always find it i think i first i think the first match i saw of yours was you against negro navarro who's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and it was like it was somebody said, you know, there's a guy working Negro Navarro in some place in uh, Seattle, and I was like, well, shit, I gotta watch that, right? And I always just, I think I assumed that you were the money mark because that feels like a money mark move, right? Like a guy, I'm gonna fly in Negro Navarro and wrestle him in a in front of a you know in a in like a bar in Seattle because there wasn't even that wasn't even a lucha show. It's not like you know I, I saw Negro Navarro live here in Denver, but it was in front of you know. 185 Mexicans and me. So, so yeah, the Negro Navarro thing is like, I, I understand how it happened now, but it's still the wildest experience in my life. So, um, so that was in the summer of 2018. So we got to rewind a couple years prior to that. And there is a Lucha promotion in Seattle called Lucha Libre Volcanica. And they brought in Negro Navarro to do a seminar in the spring of 2016 and of course, it corresponded with the same weekend that my cousin was getting married. And so I had to miss out on it. And I was very heartbroken about it, but such is life. And then fast forward to the next spring, and Lucha Libre Volcanica is bringing him back for another seminar. But of course, that corresponded with the same weekend that my band was going on tour. And we were doing a weekend of shows in, in Alberta. So again, I'm going to miss this seminar again. So fast forward to the following summer, summer 2018, and they're bringing him in for two 
two back-to-back weekends of seminars in Seattle. And and it's always it's just kind of curious to me, like, okay, obviously this school has a connection with him, but it just seems crazy that they would be able to bring him up every single year. Um, and so I had made plans to go to one of the seminars on a weekend where I wasn't going to be wrestling elsewhere. And, um, one of, uh, my friends who was at, uh, who was around him and at the seminar sort of said, Hey, he's just hanging around Seattle for a week. He doesn't have any bookings. He's just doing these seminars. You should reach out to three, two, one, which was my home promotion at the time and see if they would book you against him. And so I just made the hard pitch to three to one. I said, this is a dream match of mine. If you could do it, I would be forever grateful. Here's his contact. Please reach out to him, blah, 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 blah. And they made it happen on like six days notice. And we literally announced it on like four or five days notice. And like Twitter's reaction was like, what? How how is this match even happening? Like what a weird match to happen. And the match happened and it was like truly an amazing experience of just getting to work with someone who's just such a, a master at the style and someone who speaks like little to no English, like basically no English whatsoever. Um, and it was after the fact when we were both at our, our kind of mutual, our merch tables after the show selling, you know, our merchandise. And a woman came up to me and said, Oh, can I get a picture of you and my brother? And I said, sure, okay, where's your brother? And she walked me over to Negro Navarro. And so Negro Navarro has family in the Seattle area, I I found out. (laughs) And that's why he was regularly being brought into Seattle. He he used it as like a business vacation where he would do seminars and also go see his family. And that's how we were able to make that happen. So that's pretty cool. It's a great match. It's worth it's on it's on YouTube, right? I think it's easy. It's on YouTube for, yeah. for sure. So it, it's, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I think it's, Navarro is slowing down. I mean, he's got to be in his 60s now, right? He was in, yeah. So it was like the last kind of like really great match that he had was that Zack Sabre Jr. match from like a year and a half prior. And then he had a pretty bad injury like later that year. That was in 2017. And he missed a bunch of time, like three or four months. And afterwards, you could see that his work really slowed down. And so he's still great at what he does, but he's definitely like he's I think he was like 64 when I wrestled him. Um, so understandably was, slowing down. <laughs> it's like, oh, he gets injured in his mid 60s. Usually that means that you walk with a cane for the rest of your life. Not that you're not as good at professional wrestling. <laughs> And it's funny because like he's moving pretty slow backstage and after before the show, but when you get him in the ring, he still can go at a pretty hard clip. So, um, but yeah, so like the Negro Navarro of his late fifties isn't the the Negro Navarro of now, but he's still pretty damn good. And certainly for for someone that age, um, he's great. So and very very nice, very humble. So that's cool. And are, it's some is he visiting his sister again once we all get back out of our houses? Hopefully. I want to. Someone told me that they they met him at a show in Mexico and they specifically brought me up like hey you should wrestle this this guy in Mexico I've seen the match in Seattle and and he apparently spoke very highly of me and said that that I uh, was pretty good at the style and he would love to wrestle me again and he thinks we'd have a better match uh, if we got to do it again so 
So that's that's pretty cool. I'd love to do it. I mean, I'd love to do it in Mexico, obviously, but I'll do it in Seattle. That'd be great. I mean, I think it, I'm wondering how many other people in the world have been in a ring with Yuki Ishikawa and Negro Navarro. It can't be a ton, right? It's got to be a relatively small number because they are master, very similar in a lot of ways, masters of that, of a very unique, specific style, but not a ton of overlap between anybody. Can you, off the top of your head, can you think of anybody else that would be in that club? I have no clue. I have no clue. It's got to be someone like, like a Japanese Someone who did like an excursion from Japan to Mexico. Oh, that, yeah, maybe it's somebody like that, that who, ended, who ended up like one of those young guys who ended up working IWRJ. Yeah, something like that. But I, I don't, I don't know who else it would be. So, if I'm the guy, if I'm the guy, that's a pretty cool feather in my cap. That, that's a pretty, it's a cool Kevin Bacon game achievement, right? Like you know, if you connect within matches, Yuki Ishikawa and Diego Navarro, you can do it in one, and it might not take that many. I always thought if I ever uh, struck it rich, that that was a match I'd always want to just figure out how to run. They're probably yeah. both getting... Honestly, those those two would have an amazing match with each other. I, let's let's get a money mark, Phil, the two of us, and we'll, we'll find a nice neutral location between Vancouver and, and Denver, and we'll... Uh, and we'll run the show. Everyone buy the book. If I sell enough copies that I can afford to put Negro Navarro against Yuki Shikawa somewhere, I'll do it. We can call up uh, call up Dylan and say, "All right, this is going to be your your uh, your showcase match at Scenic City 2022 or something." like that. How wild would be those two guys in friggin' Chattanooga, Tennessee? <laughs> Yuki Shikawa's like, "You guys want me to throw salt, right? I'm going to be throwing salt at this match." I'm in Tennessee. That was always the story about the Kobashi. Kobashi Joe match, right? Yeah. Where he was like, I'm coming, I'm Japanese guy, right? So I'm going to do like judo chops and uh, and bow a lot. They're like, no, no, just do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just be freaking Kenta Kobashi. There's a match um, between uh, uh, Fujiwara and Bart Vale that's in Florida. Like a PWFG, sh- I don't know I've, what. I've, 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 I've never seen the match, but I know of the match. I've certainly heard of the match. Where it is, like, it's like I don't know what the hell it was. It was like a show that I guess Bart Vale was promoting, and I don't know if Bart Vale had a promotion. And this is the only you know show of it that exists on tape. But it was clearly like a thing where he was bringing in all the guys from PWFG to work a show in Florida, where he was the American flag pants super baby face working evil Japanese Mr. Fujiwara in like a shoot style match where he is kind of working as like, you know, Tojo Yamamoto shoot style Tojo Yamamoto. It's an amazing match. I can see Fujiwara pulling that off pretty well though. No, so. yeah, I mean, guys, the, the most expressive wrestler of all time, right? He's, you know, nobody, he can do more with just smirks and fucking, you know, stares and eyes. I mean, you could work on match where there's no moves and it would be entertaining. This is true. This is true. Speaking of Florida, like, uh, and kind of bringing it back to, to the guys we're talking about, I, the other thing, and I'm sure you know this story, is how Ishikawa first trained to be a pro wrestler and how he he flew himself to Florida to try and find Carl Gotch. I don't think I did know this. I mean, I knew that he was part of the that PWFG crew of guys, but I didn't know he, that he flew to Florida to try to find Carl Gotch. 
So before he hooked up with Ishikawa with uh, with Fujiwara, Ishikawa flew himself as like a young man in his early twenties. He flew himself to Florida with a picture of Carl Gotch, and like just went to like a taxi driver and was like, "Do you know this man? Like, bring me to him." And I guess the taxi driver just like took pity on him and was like, "Okay," and so just like drove him around for hours on end. And was literally about to like give up when they were like in a gas station and some woman saw the photo and was like, oh, yeah, that's my next door neighbor. And that's how they found Carl Gotch. And then Gotch eventually was like, no, 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 go back to Japan. Here's Fujiwara's contact. Go train with him. But yeah, that's how Ishikawa got into the wrestling business. God, what a what a creep. What a freak. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a totally awesome, insane thing to decide to do. <laughs> I fly to a country. I don't really speak the language. I'm gonna just drive around and try to find Carl Gotch, and I do in a gas station. Somebody's neighbor. Yeah. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then you know, obviously, the rest is history, right? But yeah, he's a totally what a total what a total crazy, unique guy that that he is. I mean, I know for a while he was training people in Canada, right? Yeah. He but, was, but a different part of Canada than the part of where you're from. Right? You're, I don't know that much about Canadian geography, but like a whole, whole other part of the country, right? Yeah, Canada's massive. It's, it's, the, second, it's the second biggest country in the world. So, but I, do uh, know, I do know at least that much. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, I, I'm in Vancouver, which is uh, all the way on the West Coast. He was just outside Toronto, which is like, I don't know, 4,000 miles away. So, um, so yeah, so he was uh, he helped train. This is the weirdest connection, too. He helped run the wrestling school in Toronto run by Santino Morella, um, which was called the Battle Arts Academy, although it was battle fully spelled out with an E hyphen arts. It wasn't spelled exactly the same way. Um, but yeah, so he um, he lived in Toronto for quite a few years and he would do like children's jujitsu and stuff in addition to like also doing like pro wrestling training he was just like nice old yuki ishikawa who was like teaching the youth of canada um as well as you know people who wanted to get into the wrestling business but yeah i remember it was always infuriating with i was always infuriated that nobody was just like calling him up and booking him somewhere like you know if he was on the continent like why wasn't he wrestling tim thatcher and odie lord and uh, uh, biff music i guess back then uh you know gulak and all those guys right just somebody call him up you think like yeah he could have fit into into that like 2015 2016 like evolve kind of incredibly thing. right like who could yeah. how could anyone have possibly been better in that in that scenario than him right yep um, but you know, but it, it took. I mean, the WXW guys—they're all super fans. They grew up loving the style as well. They were all huge, like '90s shoot style fans, and that's why they were the ones who started, you know, using him regularly in the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's cool that they did. I mean, we got a lot to see a lot of stuff from him for that. You know, he just—he was working these shows. He wasn't doing much. He would occasionally work matches in that Toronto fed. And then he would occasionally do things in really small promotions in Japan that may or may not somehow show up on the internet to get to see. But certainly after battle arts closed, you know, it was rare that you would get to see maybe more than a match or two a year. And the fact that we got, you got to see him work Tim, he got to wrestle Timothy Thatcher. He got to work that tag against you. He got to do Aikido. I mean, and it's, you know, 
I don't know when this show is going to be released. It'll probably be released maybe by then. We'll have cleared this up now. But in the, certainly in the situation we're in now, we don't know when, you know, it's not nobody's flying anyone anywhere to do anything. So who there, knows whether it should who knows, who knows when we'll get to see him again. But, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, this, in many ways, that, that March show might have been his swan song. As like a, a you know because he's I think he's he's again getting older and 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 you know and probably and pro and who knows whether what what's whether anybody will be flying people to Germany so at some point to do wrestling hopefully they will I'd certainly love to I mean you've got to you've got to have an Ishikawa singles match at some point right that would be insane I'd love that that was I mean that was I made a list of of goals for 2020 and I. I literally only got to knock off one of them, and he, like he, Ishikawa was the top of the list of goals. So, um, but a singles would be amazing. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully one of these days things will uh, go back to semi-normal because I love, I love Europe. I think they understand me better. <laughs> they they appreciate my style better over there, and uh, and I want to go back there. I've got a lot of friends over there too. So yeah, well, it's weird. I mean, there are a lot of seeming, uh, seemingly a lot of random promotion sort of tr- doing shoot style wrestling in the indies now it's kind of a thing right blood sport is obviously been running some shows uh there's a paradigm pro wrestling and it's like a tennessee or something some some weird they're, place they're, to they're do. in indiana indiana yeah. uh and they've been do they had a like a uwf style tournament and, a, and another one pretty recently and i know there was a promotion in las vegas uh, that did like a show like that too. That was used like Randy Couture's kid and uh, and um, Stefan Bonner and uh, all those guys. So it is like something that seems to be uh, having at least some sort of a renaissance in the U.S. too. Absolutely, I actually saw someone tweet the other day that like, who would have guessed that independent wrestling in 2020 was all shoot style and comedy? That that's basically kind of. Shoot style comedy and death matches are the kind and, of the and, three and, things. And, yeah, irony comedy, right? So not yeah. my not irony comedy is not my uh, cup of tea. No, <laughs> I do no, not, not care not, for it not at all. Either, really, no, <laughs> no. Um, you know, it's a uh, but you know, people need to people. There, that's the great thing about professional wrestling is it's a three ring circus, right? So if you don't like the lions, you can go look at the acrobats. So if you don't like. Uh, Dan Housen. You can, you know, check out guys in Indiana in a garage somewhere uh, trying to work a UWFI tournament. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I let's see. Is there anything else that we want to say about Yuki Ishikawa Daisuke Ikeda this match? Um, oh, I, I mean, it's it's a total ass beater if we didn't get that point across. Like, it's it might be this one of like the stiffest matches I've ever seen. Um, it's up there. I mean, it is in the conversation. If you it's ask in somebody, the conversation what, for sure. And um, okay. I think everyone's. There are some matches that I think are as stiff, but are clearly unprofessional. Like I think yes. it may be the stiffest match where you that are these are still professionals cooperating with each other, as yeah. opposed to just something's gone wrong and somebody's giving somebody a beating. Yeah, like no one's throwing a cinder block at someone's head or anything like right. that. This, this um, isn't Mickey Knuckles beating up Mike Levy. That was pretty stiff too. What I forgot all about that. That was brutal. But um, yeah, so it's not like that. It's it's not unprofessional. It's two guys working together, but just working very, very uh, a very hard and snug style. Um, the blood 
um, you know, the aforementioned blood that's it's kind of the central figure of of this whole podcast series is, uh, like we mentioned, it's it's Ishikawa coming up with a bloody mouth. And um, I, I just think it's cool. Like, obviously, I don't think it was planned. Um, it's a great but, visual. I mean, it really it's is. Great, it's a great visual. And it, it stands out as, as something, you know, being unique. Like, it's not like that kind of fake, like, you know, once every three or four years they do an angle on, on WWE where someone spits up blood because of, like, a stomach injury or something. And it always comes off so corny. But, um, but this is, I mean, this is as realistic as it gets because it's it's definitely real <laughs> it's 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 definitely something there's a cut a nasty cut in his mouth possibly some missing teeth and it and it and it and it fits exactly it, it really is the part of the match it's in really feels like it almost it, it, it's this real happy accident because it kind of feels like where it should be in a way that you don't always see in matches with when the blood yeah. is real, like it, it's, it's, it's perfectly timed, like something that wasn't necessarily timed, but it, it, uh, happenstance, it worked out, uh, a right, the right kind of the climax of the match, honestly. Okay. Yeah. So this is a match of people are listening to this and want to watch it. It's, it's on YouTube. So it's something that's relatively easy to find. If you certainly have not seen it, I cannot recommend it more. Um, I, uh, let me. Why don't you give me some plugs? Tell people where they can hear your band. Oh God. Um, okay, I play in a couple bands. Um, um, I play in kind of this weird seven-piece. Um, I guess it's kind of post-rock, but um, it's a band called Griefwalker, um, which is spelled. It's one word spelled just like uh, it sounds. Um, and, uh, yeah, I play guitar in that band. It's mostly instrumental, um, uh, pretty like heavy dirgy, um, like Godspeedy Black Emperor, Neurosis, um, Swans. Swans is probably the, the primary influence on that band. Um, I also play guitar in a four piece, um, kind of post hardcore band called Taxa, T-A-X-A. Um, both these bands have band camps you can look up and, and check out. Both bands have physical releases as well, seven inch records, some limited cassette tapes, um, taxes more along the lines of like, um, uh, a nineties band from Olympia called unwound, um, or uh, Fugazi is kind of a, an easy reference point. Um, so yeah, you can check, um, those things out online and I'm working on a solo project that will hopefully see the light of day in the next few months. Uh, and then as far as other things go, you can follow me on on social media at Daniel Macabe, D A N I E L M A K A B. And uh, there's a fair amount of wrestling of yours that's available to watch on YouTube. And I know Internet Wrestling TV's got a, a fair amount of stuff of yours as well. I it's uh, you're somebody I always enjoy watching, and I, I can't remember ever watching a match and thinking that was a waste of my time. Oh, that. That's a very nice compliment, actually. I do appreciate so, that. I've loved some more than I've liked others, but I've never thought, oh, I wish I hadn't have spent 11 minutes or 15 minutes watching that under any... And, then, and that is not a compliment I give, can give most wrestlers. Like, you usually find wastes of time in almost everyone. So, Oh, I'm sure I've, I have some matches that would qualify, but we'll just keep those away from you. And I'm, and, gonna, I'm, and, gonna, I'm springing this on you, but we're going to go ahead and play a song from one of your bands in an outro. 
so they'll get a chance to listen to a little music. I'm just telling you I'll do this. If you tell me no, then I'll just cut this part. No, that's cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> and the, the other thing I was going to say is um, if you're interested, uh, I have a few, quite a few matches up on WXW Now, which is their streaming service. And uh, if you want to check that out, um, the, that is the place. If you want to check out the, the aforementioned Yuki Ishikawa, Daisuke Ikeda, perhaps their final match against each other. Who knows? You should you should watch it though because it's it's a really good match, and you can also see uh, me and Chris Ridgway wrestle those two in a very cool kind of intimate setting in Essen, Germany, in front of like 200 people packed into a uh, the WXW Wrestling School. Actually, is what it is. It's a small little room that has a ring and and it's standing room only. So uh, all of that's available there. So and uh, my writing is available to uh, read at Segunda Caída blogspot.com we've been doing that for almost a decade now and we put something up every day uh whether it's something i write or something uh my uh and my friend eric writes or both of us and we've got some other people who write for us as well they're really good writers and if you're listening to this podcast please buy my book so me and daniel can money mark yuki ishikawa and negro navarro somewhere uh and it is available when you are listening to this it will be available on amazon and barnes and noble and it's a pretty cool project, and I'm really proud of the writing I've done in there, and it's got some amazing art. And I think if you certainly uh, have listened to us talk about this match for an hour, I cannot imagine that you would not also enjoy the book. Dan, it was great talking to you. We've been circling each other in the Internet world for many years, but this is our first actual conversation, and I had a great time and enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.